Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! <laughs> Right here on 960theref.com. All right, back here with another episode of the Crossover Podcast. Sam Franco, Chris Brain with you. Thank you so much for joining us here on 960theref.com. A little bit of a different feel to today's episode. We're going to talk Tom Crean's hiring at UGA as the next basketball coach. We'll also talk some other March Madness stuff as the tournament has definitely been an interesting one this year. There's no question about that. So we'll dive into that here in just a little bit. Also, at the end of today's show, I'll have a 10-minute uh, interview with Andrew Wheeler Amenu. He is an Atlanta United player, and he's going to be playing for the the uh, B squad, so to speak, Atlanta United 2, who is in the USL, not in MLS, but they're basically Atlanta United's feeder team. And uh, they start play at Cool Ray Field coming up on Saturday. So we're going to, like I said, 10 minutes with him uh, coming up at the end of the show. But, Brain, we've got some stuff to get to here, including we'll get to Crean here in a second, but I kind of wanted to just talk about your impressions so far on the NCAA tournament. Uh, I mean, it's been wild for sure that a 16 has beaten a 1, not just beaten a 1, but blew them out to where the 1 seed looked like the 16 seed. I feel vindicated, by the way, because I've been saying that Virginia isn't as good as everybody thinks they are, and when you play that style of basketball, there is zero margin for error because if you go up against a team that's got some good shooters and has a hot shooting night you're done yeah absolutely and uh, you know I and I didn't do it I said before the tournament I had fallen into Virginia's trap the last two tournaments in the bracket <laughs> and I was like I'm not going to do it this year I'm not going to do it this year and I didn't I mean nobody picked a 16 UMBC to beat them oh, of course them, not still. I didn't do that but I did not have them going to the final four mm. or winning I think I had Virginia. I had them losing to Arizona which Arizona also got bounced in the first round so <laughs> I think I had them losing to Kentucky I okay. think I had it I had Kentucky advancing to this point but um I mean but now I mean the the fact that Kentucky of all teams is benefiting from the first ever region where the top four seeds have been eliminated uh, prior to the Sweet 16. Plus the six seed Tennessee is out already, and Kentucky's sitting there like, okay, we had this year where we didn't win the SEC. Two teams won the SEC, and Kentucky wasn't one of them. But Kentucky did rally and win the tournament for, I guess, the third straight year. And now here they are in the uh, Sweet 16 with what looks like just the the cakiest path to the uh, final four, but I'm telling you, I still, I would not, I would not go to sleep on Loyola right now. No, of course not. Sister Jean, yeah. who uh, one Knoxville radio host tweeted out after his team, Tennessee, lost to Loyola Chicago, bleep Sister Jean, and it's like, dude, do you not have like a life? Like, what the hell's wrong with you? I, I know. That's I mean, a 98 year old woman. Forgetting the fact, ignoring the fact that she's like a nun. Okay, there's that part of her, but then like she's just an old, like a little old lady. Yeah, she writes scouting reports for them. She's the team chaplain. And- I, it's guys like that, like we should rebel against because it just they give like this profession just a terrible, terrible. Of course reputation. they do. Good grief! It drags all of our names yeah, through the mud when you're doing dumb crap like that. 
and a bunch of different national guys, Pat Forty included, call this guy out. And then uh, you also have a, you know, a situation. Did he have to do sensitivity training? Like, what was that whole station in Boston where oh, they shut W-E-E-I. down? Yeah, they yeah. shut down for like a week while all their on-air hosts did like some sort of sensitivity training. Well, yeah, because they say really dumb stuff, like calling Tom Brady's daughter a pissant and things like that. Yeah. So it just doesn't usually go very well uh, for them. But this guy in Knoxville, just again, going way over the line, our man Al, a big Georgia fan who lives in Knoxville, called into the morning show the other day and was like, I don't know why you guys are like, you know, criticizing Tennessee here. This is the Tennessee way. This is just kind of how Tennessee fans do things. Right, so, that's how they handle defeat. That's right, bleep sister jeans. Like, give me a break. But no, I'm with you. Loyola's playing really good basketball right now. You've got to think, though, that the tournament organizers, at least the ones from Atlanta, the, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight being there, they're like, hey, man, thank God Kentucky got here. Because you can imagine, like, say Arizona had gotten through. At least you got a name in Arizona. But if the four teams in Atlanta were – or even Virginia. I guess Virginia, since it's being in the south, kind of in the region, at least you would think they would bring some fans to the game. But if you're talking Arizona, Loyola, Kansas State, and um, God, who's Loyola? Nevada. Nevada. Yeah. Whoo, man, the Atlanta folks would not be happy no, with that. No, but Kentucky alone makes up for everything. Kentucky is the is the perfect per- team to be there because that's Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, that place is going to be <laughs> packed now. And I mean, yeah, Virginia would have done okay, but not, not anywhere. Arizona. And then like Cincinnati was the two there, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no. Kentucky basketball. It, that like you said, it's Catlanta. They're used to being there. Phillips arena is going to be bananas for that, uh, for that game. Well, and the yet, first game is Loyola and Nevada. The only fans that are going to be there for that are Kentucky fans Kentucky. waiting for their game. Yeah, our Kentucky <laughs> fans scouting, you know, their potential next That's opponent. Right. And then, you yeah. know, Kentucky will play Kansas State. So, no, that worked out great for Atlanta. And it worked out great for Kentucky. But, I, you know, and, and yeah, on paper, it looks like a super easy path for Kentucky now because you got a nine seed Kansas State. And then you've yeah. got a seven and 11 down on the other side. I mean, it really would be uh, just in, from Kentucky basketball historically. Like a complete and total like disaster if they don't make it to the final four with oh, the, yeah. with the draw that they had. But I'm telling, you, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't think it's as much of a lock as it uh, as it seems to be right now well, for no. the Cats. I mean, that's not they weren't a great team this year. I mean, no. they're obviously finding their way now. But oh, they, 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 when you have a team, especially this year, because even for Kentucky, when you look at this year, that's a lot of freshmen that you're relying on. You know, at least in years past, they've had whether it be like the Harrisons or someone on that team that at least provided a little bit of veteran leadership, this team doesn't have that at all. No, and um, but you know it's a young team that's now gotten to the point of the season where this you know what are we now November December January February we're like five months into yeah. the year that you know I guess they're not freshmen anymore and they won the SEC tournament and here they are one of just uh, two SEC teams left in the Sweet Sixteen with. With A&M being the other one. You know who the favorite is to win this whole championship now, though, don't you? Duke. It's Duke. Yeah. It's 100% Duke. You know why? Because every time we go into a NCAA tournament where there's not a dominant team or there's not at least a couple of teams where you're like, yeah, that team could win or that team could win, this year in college basketball there wasn't a dominant team. And whenever that happens, it seems like Duke wins a national championship. You go back even a few years ago when they played Wisconsin in the final – in the national championship game, you know – there wasn't a great team in college basketball that year. So whenever that happens, it always seemed like Duke is the last man standing. So that's why I just think at this point, yeah, Duke's got to be the favorite, even though they're the two seed in their region of Kansas. But come on, it's Kansas' Bill Self. They're going to mess up at some point. Yeah, I mean, Duke also kind of got what felt like a freebie title when they got to play Butler, although that game did come down to the wire. Right. In fact, I mean, Butler 
It was the half court right? shot. Yeah, it was, it was Hayward. Yeah. Uh, Gordon Hayward had the half court shot that like barely missed. <laughs> I know it looked like it was going down, but still, I mean, Duke got to the final and played Butler. And now, when you look at that, the I guess the left side of that bracket. Okay, Kentucky's a huge name program, but you got uh, Kansas State, Kentucky, Loyola, uh, Nevada. And then the and you've got Michigan down on the bottom. Michigan, A and M, Gonzaga, Gonzaga. Yeah, I mean Gonzaga was in the final last year. And then uh, whoever I'm leaving out. But but point being, one of those teams is going to be in the national championship game. Yeah. And I get like seeing Kentucky in the national championship game is not going to seem out of place. But you know this year's Kentucky team, and this is not your like classic vintage elite Kentucky team. So. It's, uh, the, the ones at the bottom are Michigan, A and M. Uh, Gonzaga, Gonzaga and Florida then, State. Yeah, but then Florida State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so just uh, certainly been an interesting tournament. You know, I it, it got real spicy like in mean, like day one when Loyola beat Miami on the on the last second three. Although one thing that I got to call out here, and I and I think you'll probably be on the same side of the uh, side of the argument here. When they put those point three seconds back on the clock, when Loyola hit the shot and the buzzer went off and the players ran on the court, they put point three seconds back on the clock for Miami to make a football heave. 0.3 seconds, you can't catch and shoot. Basically, what they were saying is in 0.3 seconds, you've got to heave the ball the entire way down the field, have one of your players bat it like a volleyball, and hope it goes in. Why would you even add the 0.3 seconds back on? Let me ask you, how long did they deliberate at the monitor to decide to put oh, 0.3 God, seconds on? Oh, a couple minutes. On? And that's yeah. the thing. You took the drama, you like sucked the drama out, and I know Loyola players don't care because they ultimately won the game. But you're sucking everything out of the room. Don't put point three seconds back on. It was a buzzer beater. Let it stay that way. Yeah, let it hang like that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, this, this, they've got to figure out some way in college basketball. They got to get rid of the uh, the officials visiting the monitors constantly. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah, it's absolutely Especially brutal. Especially in the last like two minutes where they can review out of bounds we calls. Had, and yeah, stuff we had like some that. delays in Athens this year that were like five, ten minutes. I know. It's you're terrible. sitting there and you're sitting there like, my God, you've got to figure yeah. out a way to do this quicker. There's no question about it. But overall, I think this tournament's been great. I mean, like we said, we had the first 16 over a one ever. And uh, and that team, uh, just that Maryland-Baltimore County team, did a, a very good job of, of just breaking down what Virginia wants to do. And that's slow the game down to a snail's pace and, and make you uncomfortable. And that was certainly not the case. I mean, Maryland-Baltimore County – dominated pretty much that entire second half if, ran if, away if you didn't know anything about college basketball and just were watching that game and you, you would have thought that virginia was the 16 seed and maryland baltimore county was the one i mean i i would have thought like okay if a 16 seed is ever going to beat a one it's going to be one of those 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 back and forth tight games where the one seed eventually just chokes and the 16 seed hits a shot at the buzzer or something, but the one seed being in a tight game collapses at the end. But like I didn't like Virginia to me, they didn't choke. They just they were they were just not the better. I mean, Maryland Baltimore County was just the better team that day. Yeah, bottom and, line. Yeah. That's it. I mean, there's no question about it. And then there have been some other good upsets. I mean, A and M beating North Carolina, not just beating North Carolina, but beating them like a drum was certainly a surprise. Yeah, I mean that's the A and M team that. Uh, that was around non-conference play. I mean, remember, they went into SEC play with one loss, a close mm-hmm. loss to Arizona, and were, like, ranked fifth in the country. And that's so. the thing. The SEC was such a grind this year. I mean, they got eight teams in the tournament for a reason. So it's going to be very interesting to see how A&M plays Michigan. Uh, like you said, A&M, Michigan, Florida State, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Loyola, Kansas State, 
and um, Nevada. Yeah. One of those teams is going to be playing for the national In championship. The final. You know, but with as wacky as the first two rounds were, when it when it all settles down, I mean, you still have the you got to at this point figure the favorites to be in the final four are Kentucky and then you've got Kansas Duke and even Syracuse is in that one draw Duke down and Syracuse there. are playing uh, next yeah and then you've got you know Villanova still alive at the top and then you've got potentially Michigan or Gonzaga that when it when it still settles like the final four is still likely going to be like these traditional powerhouse programs where you do have all these like Cinderella's that are still lurking right so and you know, I mean, TBS is hoping that it is. You know, TBS hopes that the the final four is Kentucky, Gonzaga. I mean, they would take Michigan, Kentucky, or Gonzaga, Kansas, or Duke, and Villanova. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that but, probably is going to end up being what it is going to be. Yeah, but again, Duke's going to win the national championship. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, I picked Gonzaga before the tournament, but right now, if you ask him, it I, just feels Duke's, like yeah, Duke's going to win. It, it. just yeah, really does. You know, we're talking about final fours so here. You know, it'd be great if Georgia got to a final four sometime soon, and that's exactly what Tom Crean has been tasked with as he's been hired to replace Mark Fox as the new head coach of Georgia basketball. Sam, I would just take getting to the tournament, though. Well, of course. <laughs> you know, you, you, Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. you got to get to the tournament first, hopefully then make a Sweet 16, you know, and maybe, you know, just keep going. But, yeah, that's the thing. Georgia's got to get to the point, and I think at the bare-bones minimum, this, this team should at least be on the bubble every single year. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about, like, on the bubble in – January or, or, or even like February I'm or early February I'm talking about like you're a team that is in serious consideration to make the NCAA tournament every year that's what the bare bones minimum should be here because there's enough talent in the state to to make that happen yeah well then I'd also like to not be on the bubble and just be confidently in like well, ten- that, well of course yeah Tennessee and Auburn just won the SEC Clemson is in the sweet 16 uh-huh. I mean that's just so, you know, what's the potential? You know what? I'll just give you that. I'm going to say this. Georgia should be in the NCAA tournament every year. They should be. I mean, I would most years. I mean, I would. I understand. I know, that, but there's some years everybody's year, going but. down. But, I mean, that's why I say you should be in serious contention for the tournament like every year. Yeah, I mean, I think like three out of four years, that's something solid. like that. Yeah. I mean, what was the rate like Coach Durham? You know, if Georgia got to the tournament the rate that the, the program went to under Coach Durham, to me, I would probably uh, – I would take that. But If Tom Crean makes a Final Four at, at, during his time at Georgia, that's statue level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, Hugh Durham made one. I, I still think there should be a statue for him somewhere. There but should there's be. Not yet. But here's my. This is my. This we is, don't have enough statues. No, I know we need more statues. <laughs> this is my. Uh, here's my my. If if I had one concern or my biggest concern about Crean at this point is he is still only 50 years old, and that if he did get Georgia basketball back to that point, he might go somewhere. He's else. not like Rick Barnes at Tennessee. Rick Barnes isn't going anywhere else. Uh, that yeah, I would. Uh, you know, then there'll be other suitors for him, and Georgia will have a hard time hanging on to him as opposed to if you got a, um, you know, but even one of those up and coming like mid major coaches, Georgia would always have to worry about that too. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I see what Georgia did. They went to the, uh, uh, you know, they looked at the success that Tennessee had had with Barnes. I mean, even to some degree, what, what, what Pearl has done at Auburn as a recycled coach. And, I mean, what Ben Howland's got Mississippi State in the NIT final for? That's right, he? Madison Square Garden, baby. Yeah, they beat so, the snot I mean, out of uh, out of Louisville, uh, Louisville yeah. the other day. Yeah. So Georgia, you know, I mean, Georgia just basically ripped a play a page out of that playbook and is going to try their hand with Tom Crean. But you know, where Crean is different, I think, from Barnes, especially, is just being only fifty. I could see him not necessarily being here for the long haul. Let me counter your concern with this, though. 
because if Crean is able to build this program up and build recruiting up to a to a higher level, a lot of people have said before, why if you could make Georgia like a basketball, you know, maybe not power, but a, a much better basketball school, why would you leave? You have an easy job here. You know, I mean, the, the, you got Atlanta right down the road. Uh, I think Brent Musburger said the other day, like if you drew a circle around Athens that included Atlanta, then you don't have to go very far to get really elite level talent. So maybe you look at a Tom Crean and a lot of people have said, that, and Dick Vitale is one of them, that he thought Tom Crean was going to take the job. It'd be a great job for him. So to counter kind of your concern there, I agree there is a concern. But at the same time, if you built Georgia up to a certain level and Georgia was willing to to you know stay competitive with pay and things like that, why would you leave? Um, Unless like yeah. Kentucky comes calling, sure. Or but yeah. yeah, I mean, when it comes down ultimately, yeah, to, to dollars and the amount George is willing to invest in its its basketball program and its and its head coach, I mean, you're you're right. You know, when it comes to recruiting, that's that would be another thing is when you start to read, like, look, I mean, this guy had he was one year removed from winning the Big Ten championship, exactly, and that's, he was fired because of the impatience of Indiana fans, right? That's exactly why. Yeah, and but you know, when you start to to go back and read through, dig through some columns and read some some things about you know the fallout there and what led to his exit at uh, Indiana I mean one of the things was he was not perceived to be a great recruiter and so if you had another concern it would be if you struggle to recruit at a place like Indiana uh, how are you going to get it done at Georgia well here's my thing about struggling at a place like Indiana and I've said this before Indiana basketball feels a lot to me like Nebraska football and Nebraska football is trying to get back with Scott Frost as their head coach now but before they hired him, I mean, this is a school and a fan base that had been living off of what they had done in the past for a long time. Indiana's very similar to that. I know they're super basketball crazy, but when was the last time they were really top-tier level relevant in basketball? And it's hard to get people to come to Bloomington, Indiana, just like it's hard to get people to come to Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, like that. That's why uh, well, I think that those schools live on their perception much more than current results. People are like, oh, Indiana is this big basketball school, just like Nebraska is this big football school. Yeah, but if it slips down, it's a lot harder to build it back up. I, you know, that's why I guess they, they wanted for so long to have Steve Alford, one of their native sons and, and heroes, come back and coach, but he never did. So they had Mike Davis briefly. He got him to that one odd national final, where that, that terrible game where they lost to Maryland, and then oh, he yeah. got canned, and then they – they tried Kelvin Sampson, and that was a disaster. And then they brought in Crean, and you know his first three years were terrible. But he was digging up out of a well. A, that's the thing they hole. had. They had the thing that Sampson left behind the NCAA investigation. Sure. And stuff. So then, yeah, I mean, so after that, beginning his fourth year, he ended up with, um, <clears throat> pardon me, two, uh, you know, two Big Ten championships and three Sweet Sixteens, and he went to a Final Four at Marquette. So yeah, for, I mean, for Georgia to have a basketball coach who coached at Marquette in Indiana is, uh, you know, it's a big deal. The last time Georgia had hired a guy like that, it was when they hired Herrick, who was a, won a national title at UCLA. I mean, you tell me Crean is a good recruiter, and I counter with this. He got Dwayne Wade to leave a place like Chicago and come to Milwaukee. That's true. I mean, I don't know anything <laughs> about, like, Wade as what he was, what kind of a prospect he was like or anything like that. But, yes, he did have Dwayne Wade, and he got dragged to a Final Four by him. That's right. And that's the thing in college basketball. You know, uh, a, a lot like I say this to this day, Jim Beheim is an overrated basketball coach because, you know, as much as people want to pimp Syracuse and everything, dude's only won one national championship. And the reason he won it is because he had Carmelo he had Anthony. Carmelo. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, um, 
Now, but the first order of business now is to see if we can get Ashton Hagens back. Well, here. of course, and and Crean laid it out in his press conference. You know, three things he wants to he wants in terms of what his tenure in Athens will mean. It's uh, an energy he wants to re-energize the program. He wants to have that player development both on and off the court, and recruiting. That was the third thing. So I mean, obviously, those three things are things that need to be improved here in Athens. But he should reverse the order that recruiting needs well, to be number one. I get it. Yeah, I get that. But I just think that he's going to bring an energy, and he, you know, a lot of people have said that Georgia just didn't have that that promoter, that that guy that that really went out there and promoted the program and it feels like that's exactly what Crean's going to do so I think in terms of a polar opposite of the, of the last regime here in Athens I think it's going to be a good hire yeah I mean because because yeah coach Fox kind of just lurked in the uh you know in the shadows he was rarely seen even when he did his his post-game radio interviews he just did it from you know the bowels of Stegman Coliseum whereas like Joni Taylor just sits right out there courtside with Jeff exactly and that's hopefully something that coach Crean considers all right been good uh, today, Brian. Plenty of basketball talk. We'll wrap up this edition of the crossover with an interview of Atlanta United's Andrew Wheeler Amanu as they get ready to start Atlanta United 2 season coming up on Saturday at Cool Ray Field. And a big thank you to Andrew Wheeler Amanu for joining us on the crossover podcast here on 960theref.com. Andrew, how are you today? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome. First and uh, foremost here, Atlanta United 2 getting the season underway over at Cool Ray Field coming up Saturday, 7 o'clock. How excited are you to get out there and get on the field in, in a new environment and a, a new way for the Atlanta United brand to kind of put themselves out there? Yeah, I'm very excited. I think everybody around around the team from uh, administration down to the coaches and players are very excited just about the, this opportunity and the growth of our club that we've gone through this past year to put these things in, in place. So I know as a whole organization, everyone's pretty excited to see what um, all the hard work we've been putting in will amount to this weekend. And a lot of people are uh, interested to see how things will work out there at Cool Ray Field. Uh, you know, when the dimensions were released, I, I think a lot of people thought that that's a lot bigger for uh, soccer inside of a baseball stadium. You know, we've seen uh, with uh, NYCFC at Yankee Stadium how small those dimensions are. So, in, in a sense, you're playing in a baseball stadium, but one that it's a little bigger and one that should be more like a, a regulation soccer field. Yeah, absolutely. I think. We're going to be very fortunate in that regard. To you know, from what I've, from what I understand about dimension of the field, um, to have basically a normal size playing pitch. So you, you know, we're very fortunate with the facilities that we have here, and I think we'll continue to be fortunate um, in in the ability to have our games played at at a quality location. Now, you're a guy that's been in the 18 for Atlanta United's senior squad and MLS a good bit, but this is also an opportunity for you to get out there with the second team, and or Atlanta United too, rather, and get out there and get some playing time and sort of not really audition, but just to stay in form and get some good playing time with some of these guys. And also, I'm assuming they want you as a guy that's in the first team in the 18 a lot to uh, kind of give some of that experience and, and some of that to the players that are going to be more regularly featuring for Atlanta United too. Yes, yeah, certainly. I, uh, you know, I've been grateful to be in and around the first team a lot, and I'm very excited and grateful for the opportunity to, to be able to play this weekend. Um, I think one thing that 
people should understand about how the dynamics between the team work is that, you know, minutes just aren't given to guys who come down from the first team. We have to earn it just like uh, any team you would play on. And so uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm enjoying um, the opportunity to compete for playing time, as I always have since I've been here. And, and what you said about, you know, trying to pass on some experience, uh, there's a lot of veteran guys who have been playing pro for longer than I have on on Atlanta United too. So I think the whole the team as a whole is quite an experienced squad. So I'm excited to see how that comes together this weekend. Now, uh, looking at, at you, obviously you've had an uh, interesting career arc starting. Uh, with college at Harvard, do you uh, do you get a lot of uh, you know questions and stuff like that in the locker room or whatever, or maybe get a little rib of being uh, the Ivy League guy? Um, a little bit. Uh, I think it's less so in the in the locker room. You know, we do have uh, another Ivy League guy on our team, and Jeff Lorenowitz, and uh, I certainly uh, he's certainly somebody like I look up to in that regard to kind of see how to how he's paved his way for himself. So it's something I look to emulate in terms of um, how he carries himself. But, yeah, like in conversations, like common conversations here and there, it's not so much like I get comments, but it's always like a double take. They ask you, like, oh, we went to college, and I said Harvard, and they're like, oh, you said Harvard? And I was like, yes, I said Harvard. Um, so that's always – it's always fun to – not necessarily fun, but always interesting to see how people react to that. But – other than that, I think, you know, we're all here trying to do one job, and for the most part, everyone's treated the same um, with that premise, so it's it's not too different. Going back to last season, you know, as I mentioned, it was your rookie year, but you were in the 18 a good bit for the uh, first team. Just kind of tell us what it was like, you know, because it started at Bobby Dodd, then it goes over to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and this team, obviously, the first team, you know, has built such a huge uh, ground swelling of support in Atlanta. So just, just kind of what was it like for you just to be a part of that in year one? Um, it was certainly a, a great experience. Um, I had a lot of fun, a lot of excitement, a lot of energy. Uh, I think energy is probably the best word to, to describe it. Um, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it is, but when you're in and around the organization, when you're in and around all those fans, um, like you said, you know, we started off at Bobby Dodd, and Bobby Dodd Stadium and atmosphere was amazing, and it just carried right over into, obviously, the, the great stadium that is Mercedes-Benz. And for that to continue and be consistent, uh, that, that support be so strong for the entire season, and as you can see through the off season and into the start of this season again, it's... Like I said, you can't really it, – it's difficult to describe exactly, but you feel a certain type of energy when you're in the Ronda atmosphere, and it's something that um, is very satisfying and fulfilling to be a part of. And uh, one part about being in the first team is obviously training with those guys and uh, and getting coaching from Tata Martino. What, what have your impressions kind of been of uh, Coach Martino and how he likes to run a team and, and how he likes to uh, you know integrate different players into the squad? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I enjoy the sessions that we do because they make me think a lot, quite honestly. Um, just by having a conversation with coach or hearing, listening to him talk to his team about to to yeah to his team about tactics, he clearly has a, a vast understanding and knowledge of the game, and so 
just being able to listen and try to pick up things here and there from him and see how and listen to see how he uh, envisions the game differently um, than other coaches I've had in the past is something that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and then on top of that, he's certainly very demanding of everyone on the field. So when we go out to training, um, he, he's looking for your best, and that creates a very competitive, energetic training environment, um, which is something that you enjoy being a part of as, as a player for sure. And uh, getting to some of the guys you played with, you know, I, I think a lot of – uh, not just fans, but I think a lot of uh, people that cover the league and just MLS in general were very much taken by surprise at how good Atlanta United were able to play last season. Before the season and in training w- with the team, did you kind of and did, did you guys kind of know or maybe expect to take the league by storm and take a lot of people by surprise the way that Atlanta United did? Um, I think we just expected to execute um, the way, like, how our coach wanted us to play. So we were very confident in the ability that we had as players, and coach was able to present us with his style of play that he wanted us to play, and we were able to go out there and, you know, sometimes yes, sometimes no, but for the most part, we tried to execute the plan that he laid out for us. And so we were confident that we had the ability to execute the plan that he wanted, um, that he put forth for us. Um, whether that turned into wins or losses, I don't think was directly on our mind when we were coming together. We were just, obviously the goal is to win, but we believe that if we executed the way we were meant to, then that would take care of itself. And so that was really, we certainly had a lot of confidence in that respect. Now, looking uh, back to Atlanta United 2, obviously you're a player that's wanting to force his way into more, you know, first team caps and and hopefully some first team appearances but but going down and playing for the Atlanta United too, you know, you you know the uh, the players that are going to be featuring very prominently for this team. So who are some guys to look out for for uh, the fans that are going to be at Cool Ray for uh, these games this year? Uh you asked me like who are some guys on on the second on Atlanta United too to look out for. Right, right, right. Um like I said, I don't really, I don't really look at it as like going down to play. Okay. Uh, I think that's something that people should understand. Like, like I said, there's a lot of guys on this team who have been playing professional soccer for a lot longer than I have. So, you know, I believe that we have a talented squad, and it's kind of similar to what I was talking about how when you asked me the question about what we confident last year about taking the lead by storm. Um, our coach has a as a plan that he'd like to put in that he has put in place for us. So now it's up to us to go execute. So uh, I think just similar to how Atlanta United, the first team plays, that, you know, you have your standout players, but it really is the the unit and the system that is so exciting to watch. Um, I think that's what you're going to see. Hopefully that's what you're going to see with Atlanta United too as well. So it's just going to be a very similar approach, very similar tactics, very similar style. So basically what you're telling me is, you know, if, if you like going to the big-time games and, and the games at Mercedes-Benz Stadium with Atlanta United, that this team over at Cool Ray Field, Atlanta United 2, is going to be very similar, almost a microcosm of the first team? Um, I don't know if I could – I don't know if I meant to say it like that. Uh, I guess more what I'm trying to say is that, like, yes, certainly there are certain tactics that carry over and – that as an organization, as a as a team from top to bottom, from first team down to, you know, the youngest academy, that there's styles of play that 
that Atlanta United likes to um, implement into their into their systems. But every coach is going to be slightly different. And so what I mean to say is that with any team, the idea is to put a system in play so that you set your players up to be successful in those positions that you put them in. And watching the first team being in and around the first team, that is exactly what has happened. We are in a system that puts our players in positions to be successful. And so I think that is what you will see with the second team as well, that our coach is going to put us in positions to be successful and not put us out there and set us up for failure. Awesome stuff. Andrew Wheeler, Amanu. Atlanta United 2 will be taking on New York Red Bulls to 7 o'clock at Cool Ray Field coming up on Saturday. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, good luck to you as you uh, play for Atlanta United 2. And again, uh, try to get yourself into the mix more with the first team. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thanks again to Andrew Wheeler Amanu of Atlanta United and this weekend Atlanta United 2 playing their first game over at Cool Ray Field. And thanks to you all for listening to this episode of The Crossover right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.